European Heart Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 36, Issue 38, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lusher. Of Stiff and Weak Ventricles The ventricles of the heart are the engine of our body, and their dysfunction is associated with a grim outcome. In spite of huge progress in their management over the last decades, and in spite of recent developments in particular, the cardiac chambers may either become stiff due to hypertrophy and or infiltration of myocardial tissue leading to diastolic dysfunction, and or weak with a reduced pump function, conditions that are referred to as HFPEF, heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, and HFREF, heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, respectively. Systolic and diastolic myocardial dysfunction is associated with an activation of the circulating and local renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, and with a subsequent inappropriately increased production of reactive oxygen species. While low concentrations of reactive oxygen species modulate physiological functions through changes in cellular signaling and gene expression, overproduction of the radicals may adversely affect cardiac mechanics. In addition, vascular endothelial dysfunction due to uncoupling of the nitric oxide synthase, activation of vascular and phagocytic membrane oxidases, or mitochondrial oxidative stress, may lead to increased vascular dysfunction and stiffness, thereby further compromising cardiac performance. Accordingly, this issue contains a timely clinical review entitled Pathophysiological Role of Oxidative Stress in Systolic and Diastolic Heart Failure and Its Therapeutic Implications by Thomas Münzel from the Johannes Gutenberg Universität in Mainz, Germany, in which the authors address the potential role of reactive oxygen species in myocardial and vascular dysfunction and their therapeutic targeting. Specifically, possible mechanisms underlying the failure of antioxidant vitamins in improving patients' prognosis, the impact of ACE inhibitors or AT1 receptor blockers on oxidative stress, and the mechanism of the benefit of combination of hydrolyzine with isosorbite dinitrate. Further, the authors provide evidence supporting the existence of differences in the pathophysiology of heart failure with preserved versus reduced ejection fraction, and that targeting mitochondrial reactive oxidant species might be a particularly interesting therapeutic option for patients with preserved ejection fraction. Patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, especially those in combination with pulmonary hypertension, are an increasingly large medical problem. Phosphodiesterase, PDE5, inhibition may be of value in this population, but data are scarce and inconclusive. In the first fast track, entitled Effects of Sildenafil on Invasive Hemodynamics and Exercise Capacity in Heart Failure Patients with Preserved Ejection Fraction and Pulmonary Hypertension, a Randomized Controlled Trial. Adrian Alexander Voers from the University Hospital Groningen in the Netherlands and colleagues report on the results of a single-center randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial involving 52 patients with heart failure and an ejection fraction of more than or equal to 45%, and a mean pulmonary artery pressure above 25 millimeters of mercury. Patients were randomized to the PDE5 inhibitor sildenafil 
titrated to 60 mg three times daily, or placebo for 12 weeks. The primary endpoint was the change in mean pulmonary pressure after 12 weeks. The mean age of the patients was 75 years, with 71% being female and median NT-pro-BNP level of 1,087 nanograms per litre. After 12 weeks, mean pulmonary pressure decreased by 2.4 millimetres of mercury in patients receiving sildenafil and 4.7 millimetres of mercury with placebo. Sildenafil did not have a favourable effect on pulmonary capillary wedge pressure, cardiac output or peak VO2. The authors conclude that in patients with HFPEF and pulmonary hypertension, sildenafil did not reduce pulmonary pressure, nor did it improve other invasive hemodynamic or clinical parameters. Therefore, this study does not support the use of sildenafil in those patients. This paper is accompanied by an editorial by Barry A. Borlaug from the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, USA. In HFREF, the novel combined angiotensin receptor and neprilysin antagonists LCZ696 markedly improves outcome on top of current guideline-based therapy. However, the effectiveness of LCZ696 in different age groups remained uncertain. Of note, the age at which heart failure develops varies widely between countries and drug tolerance, and outcomes also vary by age. Accordingly, in the second clinical research paper, Efficacy and Safety of LCZ-696 Secubitril Valsartan, According to Age, Insights from Paradigm HF, John J.J.V. McMurray and colleagues from the Western Infirmary in Glasgow, Scotland, examined the efficacy and safety of LCZ-696 in different age groups of the prospective comparison of ARNI with ACEI to determine impact on global mortality and morbidity in heart failure trial Paradigm HF. In Paradigm HF, 8,399 patients aged 18 to 96 years and in NYHA functional class 2 to 4, with an ejection fraction of 40% or less, were randomized to either enalapril or LCZ696. The authors concluded that the rate per 100 patient years, of the primary outcome of cardiovascular death or heart failure hospitalization increases from 13.4 to 14.8 across the age categories. The LCZ696 enalapril hazard ratio was less than 1.0 in all age categories. Specifically, heart failure hospitalizations were similar, as was cardiovascular and all-cause mortality, and the age category by treatment interactions were not significant. The pre-specified safety outcomes of hypotension, renal impairment, and hyperkalemia increased in both treatment groups with age, although the differences between treatment were consistent across age categories. Of note, there was more hypotension, but less renal impairment and hyperkalemia with LCZ696. As a result, in Paradigm HF, LCZ696 was more beneficial than enalapril across the entire age spectrum with a favorable benefit-to-risk profile in all age groups. Heart failure with preserved ejection fraction is a heterogeneous clinical syndrome with multiple underlying causes, 
such as hypertension, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, and amyloid heart disease, among others. Wild-type transthyretin amyloidosis is an underdiagnosed cause of HFPEF that might benefit from new specific treatments currently under development. Transthyretin amyloidosis can be diagnosed non-invasively by technetium 99m33 diphosphono 12 propanodicarboxylic acid, DPD, scintigraphy. In the third clinical research paper entitled Wild-type transthyretin amyloidosis as a cause of heart failure with preserved ejection fraction, Pablo Garcia Pavia and colleagues from the Hospital Universitario Puerta de Hierro in Madrid, Spain, sought to determine the prevalence of transthyretin amyloidosis among elderly patients admitted due to HFPEF. The authors prospectively screened consecutive patients 60 years or older with HFPEF and left ventricular hypertrophy of 12 millimeters or more. 120 such patients underwent 99-MTC-DPD scintigraphy, of which 16 or 13% showed a moderate to severe uptake of the tracer. All patients with a positive scan underwent genetic testing for the transthyretin gene, but no mutations were found. An endomyocardial biopsy was performed in four patients, confirming transthyretin amyloidosis in all cases. There were no differences in age, gender, hypertension, diabetes, coronary artery disease, or atrial fibrillation between patients with transthyretin amyloidosis and patients with other causes of HFPEF. Although patients with transthyretin amyloidosis exhibited higher levels of NT-proBNP, i.e. 6,467 versus 3,173 picograms per liter, troponin L, i.e. 0.135 versus 0.025 micrograms per liter, mean left ventricular maximal wall thickness, i.e. 17 versus 14 millimeters, a higher rate of pericardial effusion, i.e. 44% versus 19%, and a higher rate of pacemakers, 44% versus 12%, Clinical overlap between transthyretin amyloidosis and other HFPEF forms was high. The authors conclude that transthyretin amyloidosis is an underdiagnosed condition in patients with HFPEF, a fact that will become clinically relevant with the advent of emerging transthyretin-modifying drugs. This paper is accompanied by an editorial by Matthew Maurer from Columbia University in New York, USA. A much more common cause of HFPEF is hypertension. In the fourth research paper, Dietary Counseling Has No Effect on Cardiovascular Risk Factors Among Chinese Grade 1 Hypertensive Patients, a Randomized Controlled Trial, Harry Hao Zhang Wang and colleagues from Sun Yat-sen University in Guangzhou, China, evaluated the effectiveness of dietary approaches to stop hypertension, DASH, by one-off dietary counseling on reducing cardiovascular risk factors among Chinese grade 1 hypertensive patients in primary care. A parallel group, randomized controlled trial, was conducted among newly diagnosed with grade 1 hypertensive in primary care. Subjects were randomized to usual care or usual care plus DASH-based dietary counseling. The study endpoints include blood pressure, lipid profile, and body mass index at 6 and 12 months. Blood pressure levels declined in both groups. Disappointingly, 
The intervention group did not show a greater reduction in either systolic or diastolic blood pressure as compared with the control group. In contrast, improvements in lipid profile and body mass index were observed among all subjects, yet no significant differences were detected between intervention and control groups. The authors conclude that the DASH diet by one-off dietitian counselling in primary care does not appear to confer long-term benefits on top of physicians' usual recommendations. Finally, the issue contains a special article manuscript entitled Report of an ESC-EAPCI Task Force on the Evaluation of Coronary Stents in Europe, Executive Summary, by Stefan Windecker from the University Hospital Bern in Switzerland. In 2013, the European Society of Cardiology, ESC, was asked by the European Commission to provide recommendations for a revision of their medical device advisory document on the evaluation of coronary stents. The ESC delegated the task to the European Association of Percutaneous Cardiovascular Interventions, EAPCI, with the request to establish an expert advisory group in the field of percutaneous coronary intervention with specific expertise in the evaluation of coronary artery stents. As a basis for this expert advisory document, the ESC-EAPCI task force established a comprehensive list of all drug-eluting coronary stents, DES, that have received a CE mark to date, which was provided for review to representatives of the European notified bodies. In addition, the task force performed a systematic review of the literature of all published randomized clinical trials evaluating coronary artery stents between 2002 and 2013. In this document, the ESC-EAPCI task force proposes guidance on the process to evaluate stent technologies by means of preclinical and clinical studies prior to approval for clinical use. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.